0: To start today, I just want to share, uh, this week, just last, um, I entered into a conversation with someone around how we sometimes look to the things of nature to help see what might happen in our life, Might, might be what is about to happen. And the example that came to my mind when I was talking to them is one I realize now not too many people in America maybe know, or at least not in Maryland that I've come into contact with, no. And that is, if you see a cow cow lying down, it's going to rain. And the the idea behind that is the cow doesn't want to lie on wet grass, so it lies down in preparation for the rain, so that it keeps its belly dry. And again, by the look on your faces, I'm sure I see many of you hadn't heard that either. But a few of you kind of did. Um, And then as I was reading the scriptures for today and, 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 and thinking about what to share, another one came into my mind as well, and that is, red sky at night, shepherd's delight, red sky in the morning, shepherd's warning. And then someone told me, we don't say shepherds here, we say sailors. I said, why? They said, well, do you see many shepherds about? I was like, fair one. But it comes, that, 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 that whole idea comes straight out of scripture. Straight out of scripture, later on in Matthew's gospel, we'll come to it in Matthew chapter 16. But the, the whole idea behind that red sky idea is that it's all to do with the pressure atmospherically and the dust and how the light picks up that dust and what it shows us. And so as the As the the high pressure is coming in, it shows up at nighttime. And as the high pressure is leaving, to make way for something that's a bit lower, it shows up at nighttime, uh, at morning time. And so it kind of a way of telling what the weather might be like. Now, is it it a perfect science? No, but it's 99% of the time correct. as, as we read the signs. And, and that's kind of what Jesus said to the Pharisees and the Sadducees that came to him asking for a sign from heaven. His response to them in Matthew 16 was, when evening comes, you say, it will be fair weather because of a red sky, or it will be stormy weather in the morning because of a red sky. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. But why did I start talking about Matthew 16, cows, and a red sky? (laughs) Well, simply because I want to share that we like to know what's coming. We look for ways to see and predict what's about to happen. You know, um, the same way that we really like to know that when we're approaching a railway crossing, the lights are going to flash to tell us that a train's going to come, so we've got to stop or it's safe for us to go over. We like to know what's about to happen. And we look for signs to, to kind of give us the warnings of, of what we're about to come up against. And here in, in, in chapter 4 of Matthew, Jesus is beginning his ministry, having just heard that John the Baptist has been arrested, and he comes on the scene and he says, the kingdom of heaven is approaching. Now I think for a moment, you're sat at a railway crossing. The lights are telling you a train is approaching. Here, Jesus is the light telling us what is coming, what is approaching. And it's not that we want to stop like we do at the road <laughs> with the railway. Actually, we want to be caught up in it. We want to be caught up in it. Because that in itself, that one bit, is so remarkable, and when he, when, he, when he pairs it with the need for repentance, that's what the whole gospel is based on. Okay, Everything that all of the evangelists write about is all kind of on that one hook, that the kingdom of heaven is coming, approaching. But yet, some people just don't get it. Today, some people don't get it. But even in Jesus' time, some people didn't get it. And we saw that when we looked at the, just briefly then, going ahead to Matthew 16 with the Sadducees and the Pharisees, and they're wanting a sign. Well, Jesus has given them a sign. He's given them the warning, and yet they still want more. But we need to really, in digging into this, firstly, we need to um, understand here, as Matthew reads, writes about uh, the kingdom of heaven as words Jesus has spoken, other evangelists would use kingdom of God. And actually, we've got to make sure that we actually pair those together. They're the same thing. It's not talking about something different. So kingdom of heaven is kingdom of God. They're the same. And here at St. John, we very much draw on, on Mark and, and repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. As one of our kind of key phrases that we, that, we, that we look at as we draw in to listen to what God's saying, how we're going to respond to it, and, and really dig into the need to let go of things in order to move on to what God is doing. So kingdom of God is kingdom of heaven. They're the same. And then with that in mind, we need to also be clear that the kingdom of heaven isn't heaven as people have become to think of heaven. It's not some place we go when we die. It's not, it's not some place that is there for our heavenly uh, um, movement, move on from earthly living. It's not a kind of nice retirement home for us. Okay? The kingdom of heaven, if it were that, could not be approaching. Yeah? If the kingdom of heaven was simply somewhere we went after this life, how can that be approaching now? That's kind of a, that, 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 that's one and one equals five um, to, to kind of get to that notion. So what Jesus is doing is warning the people what is coming. And he's saying, what are you going to do about the fact that it's coming? Because Jesus knew that by saying those very words, the people that he's speaking to should, and a lot did, some got it and didn't like what they heard, (laughs) and some got it and followed, and then some were like, yeah, I don't know what to do with that. Okay? But he's saying, by the words, kingdom of heaven is approaching, he's saying, get ready for revolution. That's what that means. That's what Jesus is coming at. Get ready for revolution. Okay? And the people were expecting a revolution. They were expecting a Messiah, a military leader for some. And Jesus is coming and saying, not only expect the revolution, but the revolution isn't actually what you think it is. It's going to be different. And when I say and talk about kind of revolution and, and, and the time and not understanding of the time as Jesus says in Matthew 16, I kind of chuckle to myself a little bit because in my upbringing, this time of the church year is, is called ordinary time. Um, and I'm looking at your faces, not many of you have probably heard that before. And you're like, what, what do you mean ordinary? We're in Epiphany. Well, Epiphany kind of took over <laughs> this break between the Feast of Epiphany and the beginning of Lent. And it's called ordinary, not because it's plain, but based on the ordinal system, so a counting system. It's a week in which we are not as the church either looking forward to, in preparation of, or celebrating, one of our key feasts, either Christmas or Easter. So there's about thirty three or thirty four weeks, depending on where Easter falls and where an Epiphany happens, where we are in ordinary time, where we are not specifically focused on looking at birth, death or resurrection of Jesus and we concentrate on his teachings. So it's ordinary because it's an ordinal system, but also if we take that word ordinary and we think about, well, that just means not extra special, maybe, and we think about our reading today, I'm pretty sure it was an ordinary day for James and John and Andrew and Peter, in which they were called to do what? To get out of their boats and to follow Jesus. Pretty sure it would have been an ordinary day for them that became something that started an extraordinary life. And we all get to have that. We all get to have that moment of the ordinary, which can become the the stepping stone to the extraordinary. You've got these four men. They leave their boat, they leave their business. Why? Because they hear Jesus say, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And if we didn't know much more of the story, and even though we do, sometimes we'll still ask, what on earth does that mean? You want me to go and throw nets over people that are swimming in the sea? How, how am I going to catch men? Where am I going to catch men? What, what's this about? And I don't think these four fishermen had any idea what that was about, but I don't think they cared, because they were intrigued. They saw uh, the, the, the charisma of Jesus. They saw him directing them from the outset, "Come follow me." Simple simple request. Simple invitation, and lots of challenge will follow. Do you think maybe they had a second thought of how am I going to support myself or in Peter's case specifically, my wife and family? Is there going to be enough to go around? Do you think they thought those questions? Initially, I don't know if they did. But later on, I'm sure they started to. But then we all ask those questions, don't we? Think about people in in life, the the sports star who gives up life as a sports person to go to seminary. Um, Or the retired sports star who became a broadcaster who then travels across the world to go to seminary and give up a very good contract with the BBC because he felt a call to ministry. No guarantee of... Security, No guarantee of benefits, just following God's call. And in the ordinary that we might call it, everyday life, people follow Jesus. They choose to follow Jesus and the call he's put on their life. Be it uh, to go into the nursing profession, to be a teacher, to be a teacher of teachers you know, be a police officer or a prison officer, to be a fireman or woman. Kind of professions which are, in themselves, a calling and aren't necessarily lucrative in the way they recompense you for your time. You see, all across the world since the Day of Jesus, people have given up attractive, lucrative lifestyles to follow Jesus. And if you write attractive, lucrative, lucrative lifestyle and just take the first letter of each word, that is giving up all for Jesus. Yeah? For Peter, for Andrew, for James, for John. I'm sure they had little idea of what that was actually going to look like in the future. All they knew was that Jesus was stood there right in front of them, that he said these words and there was something about him that compelled them to step out and to go. Yeah? Did Peter have any idea that on his confession that Jesus Christ was the Messiah, the Son of God, that he confessed that, that that's what the whole church was going to be built on? I don't think he did, not at that moment, not even when it was said. I don't, think, I don't think Peter understood it, yeah? Did Andrew have any idea that he would be commemorated as a saint, as a patron saint of Greece, patron saint of Scotland? No. We all look to these, these four men and all that they have done to enable us to be church today. And we get to commemorate and remember everything that they've done for us, in the name of Christ, the church is built on those who have gone before. And they gave up all, they gave up their business, their lifestyle to go and follow Jesus. But where was Jesus going? And I think if if those four guys had any idea of the kind of people Jesus was talking about catching, they'd have stayed in their boats, right? Not the kind of people you want to really hang around with. But Jesus didn't just drop them into it. It wasn't like, come and fish for people. And then he showed them. And that last verse that Anne read really shows how he showed them. He showed them how to teach. He showed them how to listen to God, how to, how to listen to Father, how to, how to um, get in line with the Spirit and to how, to, how to heal in the power of the Spirit. How to cast out demons in the power of the Spirit. He showed them ministry and how to go and catch people. And they grew. They grew into it. (laughs) And they grew into it because really they got to know Jesus more. And as we know Jesus, I think there's only really one word that truly sums up what it is to know Jesus, and that is that knowing Jesus is transformational. Okay? Following him, learning from him, choosing to go all in to give up fully anything else that gets in the way of following and what do we get we get the most impactful fullest experience of what life should be and it can't be equaled by anything else you take these these four fishermen and they went with him and Jesus went through all of Galilee and he taught in the synagogue he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom he cured disease he cured sickness and he said repent he said repent and it's that proclaiming of the good news of the kingdom that is the main thing that I want to really just dig into Okay? Because that statement, that statement comes to that revelation that there is a revolution. And that revolution is a radical change. Yeah, you look up for the definition of revolution. It is a radical change of order or established order. And Jesus came to change the established order. But he didn't just come simply to give it from one person to the next because the whole idea of power is being questioned. The idea of the order is being questioned, not just the who has it. Because the Jews, they're under oppression as a people and have been for centuries, passed on from one pagan group to another pagan group who have ruled them and ending up with the Romans. And like I say, they're after a military leader to come in and really, if you think about it, get rid of the darkness of the Roman Empire with darkness of fighting and war. But Jesus says that's not the way it works. How do you get rid of darkness? You bring in light. It's not with fighting and killing that we stop fighting and killing. Up until that point when Jesus come on the scene, and I talk about that, that military leader that, that, that's expected, they've had some military leaders. There have been multiple movements against Rome. You can read about some of that in Maccabees, in the Maccabee revolt. Um, but, but, the, but the difference that we've really got to look at here is there is a big difference between a movement and a revolution. And I'm going to kind of quote, but not fully, because there's certain words that I need to leave out because I'm in church and I'm talking to an audience, not just you guys, but online as well. Um, But Tommy Lee Jones in the movie Under Siege. And if you haven't seen it, it's an old movie, but it's definitely worth a watch. Um, His character, William Stranix, defines the difference between a movement and a revolution. And he says a movement is such because it moves a certain distance and then it stops. But a revolution gets its name by always coming back around in your face. Yeah? Jesus started a revolution. It's not going anywhere. It's going to keep coming back. And every time we try to walk away from it, it's going to keep coming back. Sometimes it'll slap us in the face. Sometimes it'll just be there. Because that revolution isn't going anywhere. It's not just going to go a little bit and stop. It's constantly moving. It's turning around. And another word that's all about turning around is repentance, which Jesus attaches to the kingdom of heaven. That revolution, it's underway. It started with Jesus, and it's one which is continuing today. One which as people we need to understand. We need to understand that the the idea of the promise that was made by two God's chosen people, which were were the Jews, was Israel, and they chose to walk away from that. They were called to be light to the nations. And they chose instead to be, you're our God. We're not sharing you. <laughs> we're going to come up with all these ways that we get to please you. And, and, and we're not sharing you. You know? You get, oh, you can only worship God if you come here because this is where he is. <laughs> yeah? Yeah? And we're in danger of slipping into some of that a little bit as the church today. Because we are called to be what? We are called to be light to the world. We are called to share that light in the same way that the sun comes every morning and sets every evening and sometimes gives us an indication of what the weather's going to be like. We need to be light where we see darkness. Jesus is the light of the world. And he's come into the world to warn us that the only way to expel the darkness is to welcome in the kingdom of heaven. That same kingdom is still coming. It is still approaching. Little by little, it gets here. More and more every day as we allow it to in our lives because the kingdom of heaven is only present where Jesus is declared as Lord. So everywhere we declare Jesus as Lord, we're going to see more of the kingdom. It's still coming. Has it arrived fully? No. But it is getting here more and more. and We get to see glimpses of it more and more as we look. And the more we look, And the more we give to Jesus, the more we're going to experience and see the kingdom. It lives in parallel with our present world. It is not just that other place that we get to see afterwards. And Jesus' message of repentance, that's needed as much today as it was when he came. Every time that we don't give to Jesus, every time that we, we don't go to experience the kingdom... We need to be repenting and saying, Lord, help me turn around and come back to the revelation that the revolution is on. So we're called to be a light to the world. And kind of the summing up question, challenge in all of that. In the invitation to be light, the challenge is how... How are we both personally and, individ- uh, and, and corporately, how are, we, how are we working to extend his kingdom in this world and not to create a kingdom that is of this world? Kingdoms of this world will come and will go. Kingdoms of this world will fall, but his kingdom will stay and remain forever. Thank you, Luke. That's a great time to have clapped. His, his kingdom will remain forever. So let's pray on that. Father, we are so thankful that your son came to earth, that your son was willing to put the kingdom above any other idea of power or rule. Help us as his church to do likewise. To put the kingdom above personal gain. To put the kingdom against, above all things, including the want to be a big church. The want to be Reaching more people for you. Well, actually, Lord, we do want to reach people for you, but we care little about where they worship. It's not that they have to come here because this is where you are. As those in Israel said of the temple. Lord, help us not hold on to you as our God. Let us not hold on to the faith we have in you as our faith in a personal level But Lord, from that, let us go, let us share, let us be light to the world in your name. Amen.